Well, I'm going to try to be a little less excited today than usual because I kind of blew my voice out at, in Phoenix. I was with Tom Alexander doing a college and career retreat. They had 55 students, and I spoke five times, and the group was so thirsty for God that I ended up like praying for every one of them, some of them several times. Anyway, whatever. I had no restraint. And so... I realized on my way back that I kind of blew my voice, so I'm just going to, uh... hey, we have 35 slots left for the Pray 130. Uh, if you can help us with that, I'll tell you what, we need, we need prayer. We need prayer for this place. We need prayer. We're, we're leaving on Thursday at 1 a.m. with 28 young people for Belize, and uh, we're going to be doing ministry down there. But more, even more than the ministry we are going to do down there, I am believing that God is going to radically move in our youth group as we are down there. And so I, I just, uh, I believe this is, this is the greatest hour for the church. And the fire of God needs to be grabbed a hold of by the next generation. And, and it, it's not going to happen except that we pray. And, and make this place a house of prayer, as Jesus said. Okay. Uh, would you mind standing with me? Romans chapter 11. This is going to be another one of those messages where... We just really, really need God to help us grab a hold of what's going on in the text, starting in verse 17. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, being a wild olive, were grafted in among them and became partaker with them of the rich root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. For if you are arrogant, remember that it is not you who supports the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off so that I might be grafted in. Quite right. They were broken off for their unbelief, but you stand by your faith. Do not be conceited, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. Behold then the kindness and severity of God. To those who fell, severity, but to you God's kindness, if you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these who are the natural branches be grafted in to their own olive tree? For I do not want you, brethren, to be uninformed of this mystery, so that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved. Just as it is written, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. From the standpoint of the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. For from the standpoint of God's choice, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Would you pray with me, please? 
Lord, we thank you for your goodness. Your goodness to all people. Lord, even when, when people, even when nations stray from you, your heart is for them to bring them back. Father, today I pray that you would bring every single human being that is here under the sound of, of my voice back to their calling, back to their gifting, back to the fullness that you have for them. And Father, I pray for us individually and as a body that we would be able to see, that you would enlarge our hearts so that we can see and feel how you feel about the nation of Israel. Please, God, we need you today. Have your way, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is The Sovereignty of God and Israel. This is, a, this is the third in a three-part series within Romans on the sovereignty of God, and, and we're going to make that available as a series um, that you can get separate, just called The Sovereignty of God. We did The Sovereignty of God and the Believer, The Sovereignty of God and Salvation, and now The Sovereignty of God and Israel. Um, point one today is Jewish and Gentile issues in the church at Rome. Frankly, I read a lot of commentaries on Romans before delving into this, and the, mo- the most difficult chapters to, to understand are 9 through 11. And it was a man uh, named uh, David Pawson that just burst light on what is going on in this letter. Paul has never been to Rome. He tells us that. Yet, in chapter 16, he's got all these friends that he wants to greet that are in Rome. And Italy's here and Israel's here. How did he get to know all these people? And so here's what happened. The church started at after Pentecost. People went back to Rome. And God did a tremendous work in Rome. So much so that this Jewish-led church was so strong that in 49 AD, um, Claudius and the emperor at that time kicked all of the Jews out of Rome. And it says, Suetonius, who's the historian that writes about this, says, at the instigation of the one called Crestus, Now, almost every commentary and scholar believes that is a a reference to Christ, and it's a reference to Christian. Why would you kick a whole people group out because of one person? Why wouldn't you just get rid of that person? Well, it's not just that person. It was the the Jewish-Christian problem that was happening. And so his solution was to kick all of the Jews out. So for five years, from 49, and they, they went all over the empire. That's when Paul met Aquila and Priscilla. They became very good friends. Five years later, 54 AD, Nero is the new emperor. First thing he does is bring all of the Jews back to Rome for economic reasons. And Priscilla and Aquila and many of the Jews that, just because they were Christian didn't mean they weren't still Jewish, so they got kicked out, but they came back. And we find them in the church. Paul writes this letter in 57 AD, but here's here's, here's the tension in the church. For the first 20 years, the church is all led by Jewish 
leadership. Five years, and it's all led by Gentile leadership. Now the Jews come back. Who is leading this church? And the Gentiles and the Jews, there is this conflict going on. So they're writing to Paul. They're telling him what the issues are. And the issues with the Jews, which he's addressed almost all the way through Romans, is, and we talked about it a lot the last time I preached, is adding the law. How they they are honoring the law too much. They are honoring their heritage too much. And they're, they're trying to make salvation Jesus plus keeping the law. Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus the Sabbath. Jesus plus you can't eat pork. Um, they're adding things and Paul is blasting away through Romans saying don't don't do it don't do it don't do it Jesus alone saves and so he 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 says in Romans eleven six, works plus grace is no longer grace it's either grace or it's not grace you cannot add things to the gospel so he's 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 going after the jewish believers that are trying to add something now here in chapter 11 now he's going after the gentile believers Whereas Israel, the Jews, have got their heritage into high regard, the Gentiles have it into low of regard. They are, they are in danger of being arrogant, of being conceited, of thinking somehow they're better than the Jewish people, somehow that the law wasn't even important. And Paul, throughout all of Romans, tries to show them how important the law is. It, it had a purpose— But that purpose was fulfilled and how important the Jewish roots are and this thing called honor. Without honor, they are in tremendous danger of actually becoming wise in their own eyes and actually even be, get outside of the full blessing of God. And so he's dealing with, he's trying to bring the church together, and he's, he addresses both. So here we are, point two, honoring Israel. Of course, this is Father's Day. So, you know, the first command that has a promise attached to it is honor your father and your mother. So here's what honor doesn't mean. Honor does not mean that you agree with everything your, your dad did or your dad is doing. That does not, that's not what honor means. It doesn't mean to honor Israel that you agree and you have to just go along with everything Israel does. That's not what honor means. In fact, honor is most clearly seen when you disagree with what they're doing. Honor means I hold you in high value, in high esteem. You are worthy of my respect. You have a place in my heart, whether I agree or disagree with you. Honor. Honoring Israel. I want to give you three reasons to honor Israel. The first is to be a friend to the Father in heaven. Children are raised and it's pretty much all about them. 
They're, they see their parents as they're, they're supposed to take care of me. They're supposed to provide for me. They're supposed to, but it's really kind of all about me. And at some point, children grow up. And at some point, and they grow up at different rates and at different times. At some point, the children have a revelation. Their parents are actually people. I'm not the only one on earth that has desires and wants and plans that, you know, I never really thought about this, but probably mom and dad have some feelings and some thoughts and, 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 and then you, and then they start asking about them. And there is this, there is this change from mere children to friends and that your children can actually become your friends. Do you know that everybody that's given their life to Christ is, is a child of God, but that doesn't make you a friend of God. To become a friend of God, it has to not be all about you. And all about you and your salvation and just my needs and God, my direction and my me, 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 me. It can't be all about you and be the Father's friend. At some point, we need to say, Father, what's on your heart? Is there something I can do for you, Father? What are you thinking about? How do you feel about things? And one of those things is the nation of Israel. How does the Father feel about Israel? Not how do you feel. Not how do you think the Father should feel about Israel. But how does the Father feel about the Jewish people today? So a few years ago, I did something called Let's Talk About Israel, which is actually a much more lengthy discussion of this topic. But I wrote a little parable to help us grab a hold of how the Father feels about Israel and all of the different responses that are in the church the church world today. So I'm going to just read this to you. This is a parable that that I wrote. it's It's really about the church in Israel. The year was 1917, and Robert and Lucy were a happily married couple with a prosperous farm in the south. In that year, they had their first child, a son they named Israel, because Lucy had been barren like Rebecca of old. Israel was their miracle son, an answer to their prayers. Eight years later, to their amazement, they began having additional children, and by 1930, they'd had four more. Israel was now 13 in eighth grade, but times were hard, and he had to drop out of school to help his dad on the farm because all other laborers had to be let go. He and his father worked together through the Dust Bowl years and managed to hold onto their land when others lost theirs. Israel knew Robert loved his other children and insisted that all of them get more education than he had. As the farm prospered, his father Robert wanted Israel to go back to school as well, but he always refused. Even though all this was true, Israel began harboring resentment toward his siblings and began began drinking to numb the pain. Robert would often find him picking on his brothers and sisters or bullying them around while drunk. He tried to talk to his firstborn, but a hardness had set in. 
It all came to a head one day when Robert heard Israel yelling at Lucy, his mother, from outside the house. When Robert came in, he witnessed Israel striking Lucy in the face. Everyone was stunned. The other children had witnessed the fight, but, were, but all were afraid of their older brother. Leave, was all Robert said. So Israel packed up his stuff. Before leaving the house, he turned to his mom and dad with rage in his eyes and said, I hate you. Then he was gone. Family gatherings simply didn't include Israel in the following years. The other children all grew up and became successful, but all the news they heard about Israel was bad. How the grown-up children felt about Israel varied. One of them hated Israel for the pain he had caused their parents and purposed never to even bring up his name in front of them. As far as he was concerned, Israel was no longer part of the family. Two of them didn't hate him. They were just indifferent Israel had made his choices, they reasoned, and now he had to live with them. A tragic story, but there was nothing they could do about it. But one child, after years of not seeing Israel, went to his father and asked him how he felt about his oldest child. This is what Robert said. He's my firstborn, and I love him. My heart aches that he's away And for me, the family will never be complete until he's home. Your mother and I have been anonymously supporting him for years, and we pray for him every night. The child was moved by the tears in his father's eyes and by the depth of his grieving heart. So he asked, Dad, what can I do for Israel? Robert answered, Pray for him, please. Be kind to him for my sake. Honor the sacrifices he made, which allowed you and your siblings to get an education. Forgive him, love him, and if he asks, tell him, let him know that I love him too and only want him to come home again. Israel. We bless Israel to become a friend of our father. Secondly, we honor Israel because they are the root that supports us. Here's John chapter 4, verse 38. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. I'm asking you to reap something you didn't work for. Somebody else did the hard work and you are benefiting from their work. Do you know what Israel did for us, guys? Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Paul is explaining Christ and he said, he said we're no longer under all of the, the, the food laws and the, and the festivals and, and the Sabbath days that were all shadows. They were all shadows, and now the reality, the fullness has come in Christ. Now we see clearly, so all those things that foreshadowed his coming are done away with. Do you realize what they did for thousands of years? They had no idea 
of what redemption was. They had no idea the the fullness of what God was even doing. They had all these food laws and all these festivals and they rehearsed all of the truths that were going to be fulfilled in Christ without knowing what they were. They were they were blind. Jesus said they did the hard work. They did the hard work for us. The sacrifices they made in in keeping the word of God, in being faithful to the word of God, preserving that promise of Messiah, all of that was done. And we are the beneficiaries of that. Paul says, don't be conceited. This didn't start with you. Don't be arrogant. Like, you, you, you are, you've just done it all. No, we have not done it all. Somebody went before us and paid a price. Do you know, we just had Memorial Day. Do you know why Memorial Day is so important? If we don't honor our past... We are in, we jeopardize our future. What, 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 Pastor Tom, what are, you, what are you talking about? If we don't realize and honor the price that was paid for freedom in America, the price that was paid through all of these wars, the price of the Revolutionary War, the price of the Civil War, the, what, what happened in World War II, the, the, there, there's been a price paid a dear price paid for our freedom. And if we don't recognize that, if we don't honor that, if we don't honor those that go before and live in the humility that the freedoms that I enjoy today, there was a price paid for that. Then our future is in jeopardy because I am, I'm, I'm not gonna hold those freedoms Preciously, I'm not going to hold them as if they are valuable and precious. I may not be willing to make the sacrifice that I may need to make in our generation to keep freedom if I don't honor that which has gone before. Why don't we honor more? I think honor is a very hard thing for Americans to, to get a hold of. If we don't honor our past... We are limiting our future. And then thirdly, those who bless Israel will be blessed. And we need the fullness of God's blessing. Genesis 12, verse 3. Verse 2, God says to Abraham, I am going to make you a nation. In verse 3, whoever blesses you will be blessed. Whoever curses you will be cursed. And in your seed, every family on earth will be blessed. So some people get, they just get on the wrong side of this. Some people, some people are just and there's whole books written about this that if, if you don't treat Israel right, you got a curse on you. You got a curse on your nation, you got a curse on you, you got and and there's this mystery curse that's gonna come if you don't treat Israel right. Guys, this is not this is not how it works. 
Those who bless you will be blessed. Those who curse you will be cursed. And that's the entire Old Testament, which always left everybody under God's curse, under God's judgment. That's what the Old Testament did, is it showed us our need for a Savior. And then Abraham says, he says to Abraham, and in your seed, singular, it's speaking of Christ, every family on earth will be blessed. Why? Because Jesus, it says in Galatians 3.13, became a curse for us. He hung on the cross. He took the curse that was on mankind for being bad performers. He took that curse so that every family on earth, there would be a blessing for every family on earth available. Did you notice that in your seat it doesn't say um, every family on earth will be blessed or cursed? It just says blessed. Why? He took the curse. God's heart is redemptive. James and John were a little confused. The sons of thunder in Luke chapter 9, they went to the Samaritans. Jesus told them to go to the Samaritans to get a meal ready. And the Samaritans said, no, we don't want you here. And they came back to Jesus and they were just hot. They were hot. They're like, you say one word, just give us, just give us the okay. We're calling fire out of heaven. We're burning up those Samaritans. They, they rejected you. Jesus says, you guys... You guys don't even know what spirit you're of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy, come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Jesus is here to redeem. So here's how it works with all the Old Testament promises. 2 Corinthians 1:20. The answer to all of God's promises is yes in Christ Jesus. So it's not a matter of getting the curse. The reason why we want to to grab a hold and obey the promises of the Old Testament is to receive the blessing, the full blessing of God. And I don't think the church can ever have the full blessing of God without blessing Israel. I believe God blesses everybody as much as he can. But if you have a wrong attitude towards Israel, he's limited in how much he can bless you. So here's what I believe happened to the early, the the first century church was just filled with the glory of God, the presence of God, the miraculous of God. They were changing the world. And starting in the second century, it just got less and less and less. What happened? There's a book called Breaking the Veil of Silence. I'm going to quote from a church fathers of the first to the fourth century, Ignatius of Antioch, Barnabas, different Barnabas than the one of the Bible, Origen of Alexandria and Chrys- Chrysostom, just to name some of the most important ones, slowly developed a theology of hatred of the Jews. This began a long road of suffering that led to po- pogroms, Inquisition, massacres, and destruction of synagogues in the Middle Ages and was um, culminated in the Holocaust in modern times. This is a very, very serious sin 
of the past, and it has to do with the church's attitude towards Israel. Ambrose forbade intercession being made for the Jews. Augustine, who believed in predestination, we talked about him a little last week, applied reprobation to the Jewish race that God had predestined to reprobate them. Jerome said this, if it is expedient to hate any man and to loathe any race, I have a strange dislike for those of the circumcision. For up to the present day, they persecute our Lord Jesus Christ in the synagogues of Satan. 1543, Martin Luther, great reformer. Let me give you my honest advice. First, their synagogue should be set on fire and whatever does not burn up should be covered or spread over with dirt so that no one may ever be able to see a cinder or stone of it. And this ought to be done for the honor of God and of Christianity in order that God may see that we are Christians. 1560, John Calvin. The Jews, rotten and unbending stiff-neckedness deserves that they be oppressed unendingly and without measure or end and that they die in their misery without the pity of anyone. Now, these, these people were all used by God. These people were church fathers. God kept the church going. They, they had many good traits. They had many good things. They believed. But do you see why they could not have the full blessing of God? To, to carry this racism, to carry this hatred for God's chosen people. The Reformed theology made up a whole theology that the church has replaced Israel. That Israel isn't even in God's heart anymore because now the church is the new son and and the old one is gone and now the new one has come. Those who bless you, I will bless. Folks, this is still in play to grab a hold of God's heart for Israel, to acknowledge that the church is partly responsible for the Holocaust. The church is partly responsible. Can you believe what, what our fathers were saying to people? We need to, when we talk to Jewish people, we need to own our past and say, we are so sorry. Please forgive us. We believed wrongly as the church. God's heart for Israel today. 1982 and 83, there were some supernatural activity in Kansas City, Missouri. All of our elders, all of our staff has had to go through the Kansas City history. The reason why, to be an elder here, you need to know, I believe this. Angels appeared, audible voices. In about a two-year period, God spoke prophetically to a man named Mike Bickle and Bob Jones and many others were used during that time. God spoke to Bob Jones and said, I am going to raise up a prayer meeting. As Harry Truman interceded for Israel, I'm going to raise up a prayer meeting that is going to intercede for Israel and then from there pray for a revival in America. So here it is, 1948. World War II is just over. 
The Arabs have absolutely promised war. If you make Israel a state, there will be war. There will be not. No one wants another war. No one wants another. But six million Jews were slaughtered during the Holocaust. And Harry S. Truman, our president, went to bat. And he went around to the United Nations delegates and he interceded. Israel needs to become a nation again. He secured the vote. America was the first country to recognize Israel as a nation. Rabbi Isaac Herzog said to Harry Truman, God put you in your mother's womb so that you would be the instrument to bring the rebirth of Israel after 2,000 years. So God gave them a building in the early 80s that was right across the street from Harry S. Truman's home, uh, home that he was raised in. Years later, they were given 130 acres. That was the old Truman Farm, which is where the Kansas City, their, their whole uh, university is now. And God started a prayer meeting. First for Israel and then for America that started in 1999. That has gone 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for 17 years. It's called the International House of Prayer. You can go down and visit at any time, and I mean any time. You can go at 3 in the morning, 4 in the morning, parking lots filled with cars. You go in there, and it's young people interceding. They take shifts of two hours apiece. Folks, you talk about a sign and a wonder in our day. There is a prayer meeting that has gone for 17 straight years, 24-7. It's going until Jesus comes back. God is raising up prayer for Israel. And he's, he's remembering the United States and the role we played and are still playing in Israel. And there is going to be, I believe with all my heart, one last great awakening in America. All right, point three. The gifts and calling of God. Even though Israel's enemies, because of the gospel, they've, they've rejected Christ, they've, they, they have not acknowledged Christ, they are beloved of God because of the fathers, because the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. God doesn't change his mind just because you're unfaithful. Just because you reject God's purpose, just because you reject God's plan does not mean that he rejects you. He holds onto his plan for you and he waits for you and I to come home. He waits for nations to come home. And indeed, Paul says, uh, this is a, a mystery 
God allowed a partial hardening on Israel to bring all you guys in, but that does not mean he forgot Israel. All Israel will be saved before this thing is over. There's going to be a massive revival in Israel before this thing is over. Isaiah 30, verses 15 through 18, in repentance and rest, you will be saved. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you were not willing. And you said, no. For we will flee on horses, therefore you shall flee. We will ride on swift horses, therefore those who pursue you shall be swift. One thousand will flee at the threat of one man, you will flee at the threat of five, until you are left as a flag on a mountaintop, as a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord longs to be gracious to you. And he, therefore, he waits on high to have compassion on you. So God invites all of us to, to repent and to rest in his salvation, which is in Christ. To quiet our own works and our own ideas and our own opinions and trust God and trust God's word and trust his promise to come home and find salvation in Christ. This is where salvation is. But you said, no. You said, we're going to go the other way. We're going to run the other way. We're going to get horses to go the other way. We got our own plan. We've got our own energy. We've got our, we, we, we don't want to do that. That's boring. We want to do our own thing and we're going to go for it and we're going to go for it with all our heart. And here's what God says to them. Do it. You go ahead and do it. And I'll make sure that those who are chasing you are even swifter than you are. And I will actually use you. I'll use you. You're going to glorify me. You, you, here's how you glorify me in your rebellion. You will be a flag raised up on a hill. This is what happens when people don't obey God. This is what happens when people choose to do their own thing and continually resist God. You're gonna, we all glorify God. Isn't that amazing how he works that? But then he says what his heart is. As you're a flag, a signal on a hill. He said to Cain, who fled from the presence of the Lord, you are going to be a restless wanderer on the face of the earth. Guys, we were created for God. We were created by God. Augustine said, we were created for you, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. So we're out there, and we're running, and we're doing our thing, and we're, we, we got all of our, our, our plates spinning, and we're restless wanderers. And God says, I'm going to make you a signal while you're away, but listen to what my heart is. The Lord waits for you. He waits for you, and he longs to show compassion to you. He's waiting for you to come home. He's got mercy that he's planned. All those mercies. It says he's got mercies every morning. His mercies every morning. So when you don't take your mercy every morning, he just stores them up. And he's got all this mercy stored up for you. And he's just like, I can't wait till they get home. I can't wait till they figure this out. I can't wait till they figure out their plan isn't working. See, when we reject the plan of God, God does not say, huh, you don't like that one. Well, let's make a new one. No, God always has his same plan. 
His plans are irrevocable. His gifts and his callings are irrevocable. So you cannot be on him, but he's, he doesn't change him. He waits for you to come home. Then we can start again. So here's what happened. And I'll close with this. I'm down at the National Convention. Alice and I were out in Seattle and one of the young guys that spoke was a guy named John Hammer. And uh, John's dad, a very good personal friend, Dan Hammer, we've had him here in this church. Dan Hammer, I would call him a modern day prophet. He, he, he got called out by John Wimber when he was just a young guy. And John Wimber was like the man. He planted all the vineyard churches and called him out and brought him up and anointed him. He felt the oil of God go all over him. And we had a guy in our fellowship of churches called Danny Ost, who was the, the missionary. He was like a modern-day Apostle Paul to Mexico. And he planted churches all over Mexico. And Danny Ost called Dan Hammer out in a meeting and and called out the hand of God on him. He had come out of drugs and God had a new plan and anointed him. And, and Dan is just, just flows. He goes all over the world, all, all nations of the world. He travels with C. Peter Wagner and Cindy Jacobs and Bill Johnson. And Dan Hammer is from the, from the fellowship. He's kind of like the biggest thing in our fellowship. So anyway, no, no ordinary anointing. So here's what happens with his son, John. John tells us the whole story at National Convention. He got into his teenage years and pornography grabbed a hold of him. And he started leading a double life for years. A hidden life of shame and guilt and lust that he was looking to for his comfort and to, to, to feed himself. And church, keep in mind, great church, great people, great, very much like this church. Church was the place he pretended. Church was the place that he, he, he knew all the words. He knew what to do. He knew what to say. And he had this double life going on. And finally, he, he had tried to give his dad hints that something was very, very wrong. Because he loved his dad all the way through it. And finally, it it all broke. And he came absolutely clean with his dad. He didn't know how his dad would respond if his dad was going to reject him. His dad was going to be angry because of the double life and because of this had all been going on right under his roof. And he said, the kindness of my dad, the tears of my dad as he just took me in his arms. He said, healing went through me. And not long after that, he's at a meeting, prophetic type meeting, and and the prophetic guy calls him out and he gives him this prophecy that God is going to give you a double anointing of what was on your dad. And so he goes back and he tells his dad, he says, Dad, this, this is what the prophet said. He said, I'm going to have a double anointing of what you had. And Dan says this to him. Son, today, today's reading was about Elijah and Elisha 
and Elisha asking for the double anointing. He said, that is the word of the Lord. And it really impacted me. And let me tell you why it impacted me so much. God doesn't think the way we think. We would think that John was disqualified from being anointed half as much as his dad. John lived in rebellion. John was doing the wrong thing. He had all the privileges of church and a good upbringing and all that, and he squandered it all, and he doesn't deserve to have half what his dad had, but that's not what God's thinking at all. See, there's something about grace, folks, that can be multiplied. Do you know what God's plan is for the next generation? That we would actually be their floor. That our ceiling, all the things we've won and fought for, that, that we, would, we, would, we would be the floor for our children. That we would, they would, just by learning honor, this is the power of honor, just by learning honor, they would get everything we fought for for free. They're going to have stuff they have to fight for too. There's going to be battles they have to win. But they don't have to rebattle all of our battles. Everything we won belongs to the next generation if they'll honor. Actually, you've got to forgive and honor. Forgive stops all the bad that came down from the last generation. You have to forgive. If you do not forgive, you will repeat what the last generation did and even worse. But if you can forgive, it breaks every bad thing that happened. If you were molested, if you were yelled at, if you were devalued, if you were belittled, here's what you need to do. Don't, don't make excuses for your dad or for your mom or for your grandpa or for your uncle. Do not make excuses. Call it sin. God only forgives sins. He doesn't forgive excuses. And when you call it sin, you can forgive it. For Jesus' sake. The highest worship, guys, is not a song you sing. It's not the money you put in the boxes. The highest worship is forgiving people. Jesus died, and he forgave you, and he said, now I need you to do this for me. I forgive you. Now, I'm going to have a forgiving people. This is going to mark you. So he, he, he put it in the daily prayer, didn't he? Give us this day our daily bread. We all want that one. And then what's the next line? Forgive us our trespasses, ooh, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Forgiveness breaks the bad. And honor draws all the good. It draws all the good of the last generation. And so God is looking at John Hammer living a double life in hypocrisy, part of the new generation that's doing its own thing. And all he's thinking about is him coming home so that I can double the anointing, so that I can multiply grace over his life. He came home and he found a father that forgave him and healed him and wasn't trying to keep his children down because I need to be the hero here. I need to be the main event and I'm the big guy and, and so you guys are under me. No, no. A father that said, I release you to go twice as far as I ever went. I release you. This is how the blessing of God multiplies, folks. The younger generation 
needs to honor those who have gone before. And the older generation needs to release the younger generation to go farther than we have ever gone. I thought somebody would say amen right there. Thank you, Earl. Okay. So here's how we're going to close. We're going we're to give everybody a chance to come home to God first. Then we're going to pray for Israel. And then we're going to pray for America. Does that sound okay? We're almost done. So first, let's, could we just bow our heads for just a moment? What does God think about when he thinks about me? Let me fill in the blank for you. Here's what he thinks about. He thinks, I love you. I died for you. I am waiting for you to come home. I am waiting for you to come home. I long to show mercy. I died to show you mercy. You were made for this. You were made to be my child. You were made to be filled with my Holy Spirit. You were were made to be a burning light in this generation. But you need to repent. That means turn around and come home. Not fake coming home, not learn the words of church and the words of religion, but actually in your heart, say, God, I am coming home for real. He's not thinking about what you're wrapped in that's dark. He's not condemning you for being stuck. He's not condemning you for what you did do. He's waiting for you to come home. If this is your morning and you need to come home to God, whether you are a father or, or, or a son, or a daughter, or whoever you are, Jesus wants to bring you home. And I, and I have every head bowed, because this is between you and God, but I do like to help people pray to come back, because somebody helped me to pray to come back. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? I see that hand, bro. God bless you. And this hand up here, and this hand over here, that hand back there, and the hand up there in the balcony, and the hand in the back of the balcony up there. I got you, sir. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else by upraised hand, we're going to pray right now. Thank you. Bless you. Would you just slip that hand that you raised over your heart right now? We're just going to pray this prayer. Just pray something like this. The Bible says everybody that calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then just a few verses later, it says, he richly blesses all who call on his name. I love that. So Lord, right now we are calling on your name. We are opening our hearts and our lives. We repent of going our own way, doing our own thing. We repent of all darkness that has tried to swallow us up. And we come home to your mercy. We come home to your redemption. We come home to your grace. Jesus, save me today. Wash me, cleanse me, and Lord, fill me with your precious Holy Spirit. I receive right now by faith in Jesus' name. Amen. Could we stand to our feet? We've got a little booklet. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, it's called The New Life. It's back at the Information Center or Welcome Center. We also have them up front please that it's our gift to you we want it will help you unpack the gift 
of what it is to be a child of God. All right, folks, here we are, Israel. Can we just extend a hand toward the flag here? Lord, you said that uh, in Ezekiel 37 that you were going to gather Israel from all of the nations, but you were going to gather her dry. She was going to be dry bones. They would be a nation, but they would still be spiritually dead. And Lord, we, we have seen this. In 1948, you brought them back to their land. In 1967, you retook Jerusalem. You have brought Israel. First time in history that a nation that has been dispersed for 2,000 years has come back and been reestablished. Lord, thank you for gathering Israel. And Father, as your church today, we take that role of Ezekiel. You ask Ezekiel, can these bones live? And, and, and Ezekiel said, you know, Lord, only you know. And he said, start prophesying to the bones, Ezekiel. Start speaking life over those bones. And as he started prophesying the life of God over them, the mercy of God, the redemption of God, flesh started appearing on those bones. Jesus, as your church, we say we love Israel. We say, live, live. We say, your Savior has come. Jesus, would you open up the eyes of your people? Would you redeem your people? Thank you for all they did for us. Thank you for the shadows and the types that they carried. Thank you for their service in the very hard years so that we could be so blessed. We honor your people today, God. Now bring them home. Bring them home, Lord. We agree with your plan of revival in the nation of Israel that they would all come to Christ. Can we move over to the American flag? Father, you have used this election to assure us that there is not a political answer for this country. You have allowed what has happened so that our faith, the church's faith, would not be in the Republicans or the Democrats. That there's not an answer in Washington, D.C. Government only carries a sword to restrain evil. The church carries the gospel to remove evil. Only the church has the answer. The most the government can do is just make a safe place so, so the church can prosper. Now, Lord, the hope of America is, is your church. Would you wake up your church in America? Would you revive? Would you send fire to the pulpits of America? Would there be nationwide repentance? Lord, even as we prayed, and Franklin Graham is going to all 50 capitals, and, we, and over 5,000 gathered there Wednesday to pray for this nation. Awaken us, O oh God. Awaken us. Lord, not according to our sins do we pray, but according to your great mercy. Now, Father, we pray for this next generation that the enemy is trying to rename. 
that he's trying to he's trying to put sexual confusion over our children and have them grow up in absolute spiritual fog. Lord, we pray for Daniels. We pray that you would raise up Daniels and and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego. Raise up young people that have an identity so established in God that not only are they not tempted to go into these other identities, but that they would be a clear light to their friends. A clear, clear spiritual light. Father, together as a congregation, we pray even for the 28 going down to Belize. Would you pour out your Holy Spirit? Revive us, oh God. Revive your church so that you can awaken the world. Jesus, we declare it. You are the only answer for America. Lord, we love this country. So much blood has been shed. We so honor those who have gone before us, those who are even right now in the military defending our freedoms. Thank you, God. Thank you for making this country. Thank you, God, for making us the friend of Israel. Lord, would you, would you speak to our president? Would you speak to, my oh my, speak to Hillary and Donald? Speak, God. Speak. You, you spoke to Nebuchadnezzar and Pharaoh. There's no reason you can't speak to people today. Would you speak? Would you raise up your purposes in whoever gets elected? We are not giving up on America because we're not giving up on you. We're not giving up on grace. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.